0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. I'm actually not here with my co-host, Lou Ice. Lou's up in Cape Cod. How's it doing, Lou? Uh,
1: Great, great. Uh, We had a little snow two days ago, and uh, it's a little chilly, but uh, I'm still wearing (laughs) my Hawaiian shirt with my yellow jacket.
0: (laughs) Oh, perfect. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're always excited when we have a chance to talk to people who really know their stuff in the manufacturing industry, and we had Jeff Carr on the show some time back from Alter Consultants, and they were kind enough to put together an uh, infographic that we have on MFGtalkradio.com about all the different size companies, the industries they're in, and the ERP options that they have. Uh, his company, Alter Consultants, did a terrific job of putting that together, and we have it on the website if you'd like to take a look at it. Jeff's gone a step further and been kind enough to come back and join us again to talk about kind of the myths of ERP uh, system failures and, the, the, in fact, that they are quite successful. Also using an uh, outside independent third-party research firm, Mint Jutras. Uh, Cindy Jutras heads that up. Cindy is with us today as well. <laughs> Jeff, I want to welcome both you and Cindy to the show.
2: Thank you. And glad to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Jeff, and so am I.
2: This is Cindy. Well,
0: glad to have you, Cindy. <laughs> Jeff, give me an idea of why you took on the task of testing ERP implementations to see what reality was.
2: Well, as you know from my background, I've really been in this industry all my business career helping companies transform their information systems to modern technology. Uh, and... I have often seen uh, companies struggle, and I've often seen companies be very successful. You know, there's two ends of the spectrum on these types of projects. Uh, They're very long. They're very costly. Uh, There's a lot of upside potential, but there's a lot of downside potential also. So um, over the years, I've often wondered, well, what, what makes a success, but what also makes a failure? We've done a lot of our own projects with one-on-one projects with clients, which are lessons learned. Uh, but this last year, we decided to commission a study to go into the marketplace and talk to companies and find out exactly, well, what percentage of the world are really successful with these projects and, and why? And if, ha- if they did struggle, why did they struggle? Um, we have found, I've found over the years, as I've talked to different members of the C-suites of my customers and prospective customers, the CEO, the CFO, the head of operations, etc., that many of them are very wary of these types of projects. They don't want to get near them. They
1: think
2: <laughs> that they're very expensive and they're prone to failure, and they don't want to make that investment unless they absolutely have to. But because of that, they're missing out on a tremendous opportunity to stay up with competi- stay up with the technology and be more competitive and driving more improvements into their business. Um, so there's that particular perspective of the marketplace. There's been a lot of pundits over the years that have said over 50% of these projects fail to meet expectations, and so there's a fear in the C-level suite about these particular projects, and I wanted to find out if that was true or not, if that was still true and why and et cetera. So last year, I went to Cindy, Cindy Jutras, who runs Mint Jutris, and she's a, formerly from Aberdeen and has got great credentials as a researcher in the marketplace, and I talked to her about this particular perception, and I said, wouldn't it be cool if we went out to the marketplace and you know, kind of found out the real facts, and so Cindy said that's a great idea. She jumped on the bandwagon with us, and we, we commissioned her team to basically do this particular study, so I'm going to turn it over now to Cindy, tell her a little bit about how she did the study, and then, you know, what some of the significant results are, and then, uh, you know, as she goes through that, I can ask some more questions, and so can you gentlemen. Cindy?
3: Thanks, Jeff. And and thanks, Tim and Lou. Um, Yes, I I certainly did agree to do this study and was also interested because I, too, have heard all these rumors about the high prevalence of failure rates. And I suspected that it was a myth. And I think our most recent study really um, proved out the fact that, you know, we busted the myth that that ERP failures were so prevalent we did it with a, a, a paid panel of responses. I go to a paid panel because of the high quality of responses, the managerial levels. We asked for companies that were over $25 million in annual revenues. We asked for manufacturers and distributors. And we, we crafted the questions um, so that they weren't leading, that we would actually find out what level of success people had, and just at the, you know, right off the top, we found that 67% of our survey respondents said they rated their implementations as as either successful or very successful. Only 31% claimed they only achieved partial success. Percent said that they were not very successful. Only one out of 315 respondents actually described their implementation as a failure. So I think we've busted that myth that all implementations are doomed to fail.
1: Does the failure indicate a people issue or cooperation or
3: or what? I I think the uh, you know we we asked all those that were at least had some partial Success, and you know that was virtually all but two percent of our our population, and we asked them to check off all the factors they felt contributed to their success. At the very top of the list. Um, you won't find it as any surprise with top management support and commitment. But I would say that that goes well beyond getting the top guy or the top gal to sign that initial that initial check the the other kinds of success factors with things like good organizational change management good assessment good testing and quality management Um, you know these are more and open and transparent communication these were much more about the people and the processes involved in the implementation than it was about the actual software Hmm.
1: Interesting.
0: Well, Cindy, I have to say, with 315 companies involved, this is a pretty bulletproof study. I I realize people hear, you know, paid responses, but at some study level, particularly when you're dealing with executive management who isn't going to fluff survey responses, they're going to be pretty straight shooters. This is some pretty solid survey results. I'm interested in uh, why companies, will go through an ERP implementation and I think you kind of picked up the top uh, eight or nine reasons why they do that. Can you share those with us?
3: Sure. Um, the We asked what their top three most important goals were. So they may have had more than, than one goal for their implementation, but we asked them to prioritize it. The, The tied for the top two were specific cost savings and also improved selective performance metrics. So people were looking to get an ROI, and they were getting, looking to pr, to improve their operational or fi, and or financial performance. <clears throat> you know, some of the others were reducing frustrations. You know, let's face it, the early ERPs were rigid. They were hard to implement, sometimes harder to use. So a lot of the ERP implementations we're seeing today are indeed um, replacements of ERP, older ERPs. Um, so you know they're, they're also perhaps looking to reduce IT costs over the longer term because those older, outdated solutions get very expensive to keep running and maintain the certain level of cost of obsolescence there. A smaller percentage were looking for things like supporting growth or or improving connectivity and interoperability in today's global digital economy, things like ensuring regulatory compliance. I mean, quite frankly, I think everyone needs to deal with those issues, but they may not have been one of the top three goals for their ERP implementations.
0: Jeff, I'm just curious, and Cindy brings up a valid point, that ERP systems used to be pretty rigid, and you really had to change how you did business to implement the doggone ERP system. I'm assuming that the kind of ERP systems that you work with today and that even Lou and I are familiar with, it's more a case where you change the software now to match how you do business instead of a rigid system. Is that right?
2: Well, y- yes and no. I mean, there's there's some issues with that. Um, you know, the question obviously comes up, do I bend my company to the software or do I bend the software to my company? Um, we found that, especially in uh, the budgets, uh, the budget performance in these types of projects, that only 40% of the companies were able to uh, stay on budget. Uh, and so 60% went over budget. So that shows you that budgets are a problem. So why is that? And we found out that it was because of scope creep. Scope creep being <laughs> I wanted to add all these neat things that the software wasn't geared towards. So bending your the software to your business becomes more expensive than to take the software. So a lot of vendors today and a lot of consultants today will Try to, you know, manage change by making sure that the end users stay within the parameters of the software and get the system up and running and get the results of it. Then go back and make some improvements to it as you need it. So, uh, So that's why I say yes or no to your question.
3: Of uh, course, if I, if I might add as well, you know, in the, in the past, those early ERP solutions, if you had to make a change, it was always mucking around in source code. And those were invasive customizations, and I'm never a big fan of that because they build in barriers to further implementation. And as Jeff said, they, they can very quickly blow your budget out of the water as well. The good news today is today's solutions are much more configurable versus invasive customization, and they're also more extensible, able to add new functionality without um, mucking around in that core system and the the source code of the core foundation. I'm very familiar
1: with the – idea about Project Creep, uh, which is the technical term for it. But I have my own term because I have my own experience with uh, creating uh, uh, programs and software for our company. And that expression is, if it can do this, can it do that? And immediately (laughs) that starts costing money. Right.
0: (laughs) Jeff, what were some of the things in this survey, and then I'd like to hear from Cindy as well, that were surprises?
2: Well, I think one of the things that surprised me was the schedule, the ability to achieve a quick, aggressive schedule. Uh, And Cindy can talk to the numbers, but there was a significant portion of the people were able to implement these new systems in less than six months. And uh, so we kind of termed them as aggressive and aggressive companies. Um, so typically, and I, th- I think the mean was of the whole survey was 9.3 months to from start to fin- from the, the beginning of the project to the first go live uh, was about nine months. But there was a, a good percentage, a minority, but a high per minority percentage that said. They uh, implemented the system in less than six months. So I was surprised at that high percentage rate, which to me is good. It's good news. I think cloud might be affecting that because it's easier to implement once you're doing it on the cloud. Um, But still, there's a lot of work you have to go down. The other thing is I think that there, there were a lot of companies out there that might have been bought by a, you know, private equity company or a parent or, or been divested by a parent and they needed to get on a system fast, so they went the aggressive route. So the aggressive survey statistics were very impressive.
3: And, and I would agree with Jeff in that, that um, you know, I was a little surprised at the percentage of companies that really planned for their first go-live within six months because that is fairly aggressive. That's why we call them the aggressive ones. Um, you know, in the past nine to 12 months was sort of the, the standard yardstick that everyone measured against. And there are people that are saying, you know, that's too slow. I want to do it faster. And they are succeeding. Now, that first go live milestone may not be a full implementation, but they've gone live on something and they're getting value immediately. Conversely, those that planned for the first go-live met milestone to be over a year um, were the least successful and I think that allows for that scope creep allows for that well if it does this does it do that and allows (laughs) you know work expands to fill the time allowed and then it gets out of control and it goes over that
0: I I
1: would agree that I I could tell you stories (laughs) (laughs) I bet you could
3: (laughs) the the one thing that that i think was the most surprising was the fact that such a high percentage of companies rated their 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 implementations as successful but that was in combination with what they were actually achieving we asked them you know, and it was somewhat happenstance, but it was also anticipating the fact that most of the goals were around cost savings and performance improvements. So we asked them to select all the different types of cost savings they achieved, all the different Types of other kinds of improvements that might have indirectly impacted costs, but not directly. Things like improving inventory accuracy, better access to data, those types of things that had more of an indirect one. What I felt, felt was everything I put on those two lists, I felt the normal manufacturer should be looking for their ERP to do. And yet they only on average selected, well, I got these 2.1 times different types of cost savings and this three or four different types of other improvements. And my question to them, if I were talking to them, would be why not all of them? And I I think that 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 point
2: brings up a very important point for the listeners is that, you know, are you really driving as much improvement as you possibly can to get the strongest ROI for your investment? I have a question
1: about the ERP systems that exist here in the U.S. and Canada, uh, which obviously contributes uh, greatly to uh, additional savings and profit and so on. And it's it certainly made the U.S. a uh, very competitive uh, country in, in the world. Is Europe and other countries, uh, other continents, are they as involved in ERP as we are? And is the ERP programs what has helped make the U.S. such a, a competitive and cost-saving um, phenomenon?
2: Well, I, uh, you know, I certainly believe that the U.S. has been far ahead of the, the rest of the world in, in information technology and, and the implementation of that um, there. But having said that, all of the popular ERP vendors that we have here in the United States are global, and some of the ones that are here in the United States are from other countries, such as SAP is out of Germany. Uh, so every, you know the, the products are available and they're being mar- marketed everywhere. Uh, of course, in uh, you know South America and South Africa, you don't have nearly the penetration uh, that you do in the U.S. and and also Europe. You know, Europe's right behind the United States, and uh, Asia is very very technologically strong, especially with the Chinese now um, and the Japanese. So they're they're all of them are pretty much caught up um, in terms of their capabilities. But you still have the developing countries and the developing country sides that still are not as far along as others are.
0: Jeff, I'm uh, I'm curious on these ERP systems and company size, and, and Cindy may want to address this as well. Uh, do the smaller companies tend to have simpler implementations and the midsize, it gets more complex? And then you get to the largest companies, and it's a, a air-raising exercise, or is it just all over the board? Well, well yeah. Think- they're, they're,
3: go ahead, Cindy. I'll let you go first. Sure. I, I I think that one of the things that was interesting, we didn't we didn't really dive deeply into how complex their ERP implementation was, but you know we can make some some assumptions. The the smaller the company, the less operating locations, the whether they're international or not, you know all plays into the fa- factors. But you know what's interesting is it was. The mid-sized companies actually achieved their first go-live milestones a little faster than the SMBs. And SMBs, I think we what I think that went up to 50 million, didn't it, Jeff? And then mid size right. was 50 uh, up to 250, some, somewhere around there, anyway. What I felt was the reason for that was the SMBs, um, you know, they're already wearing so many hats in the company, and adding an ERP implementation on top of that, they probably weren't very well prepared to give it the kind of attention that it truly needs um, in order to be successful and be that aggressive about implementations. So they lagged a little bit behind the mid-sized companies, once you get over that threshold, you've got people in place with certain um, roles and responsibilities and a little more um, sort of dissection of power and, and responsibility that allowed them to focus a little more attention on the implementation itself. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I,
2: just as a yardstick on complexity, uh, the complexity tends to increase with the number of locations or the number of subsidiaries or companies that are under the umbrella of the enterprise uh, also okay. international uh, international tends to make it more complex um, your more engineering intensive companies are you know very much or more complex than let's just say somebody that makes stuff to stock and send sells it over the internet uh, so there's different levels of complexity. Uh, the you know the billion dollar and up companies obviously are a lot more complex to implement. There's a lot more people that you have to transist to the new system. It takes a lot longer than somebody that might be fifty million that only has one location and two hundred employees. So yeah, it, size does affect the complexity and the, the length of the project.
0: Well, it's interesting to hear that the fifty to two hundred and fifty million got to their first. Milestone the quickest uh, in terms of their ERP system. Uh, anything that you heard in the survey that was particularly disappointing?
2: Well, my my point is the budget um, that the uh, <laughs> p- uh, people are still going over the budget. Um, I think the you know the the philosophy of do not change it. You know, adapt your business to the software. That's co- that's been being preached for many years, decades now, but you know, it's starting to resonate with people. Uh, and we're seeing so many good examples of people that are taking this software and implementing it very quickly um, and with the right support, with the right management, with the right people on the team. those These systems can be done relatively quickly, and you can start to realize the benefits of them. It's when we start to go and make it too big of a project and we're going too far and we're changing it And we don't have the top support. We don't have the right people that we run into problems. It's not the software. It's the people.
0: Ah, well, that that makes sense. Cindy, uh, anything that you picked up in the survey that you were kind of disappointed with?
3: Yeah, I think I was disappointed, as I mentioned before, in the results people were actually um, attaining. Um, Things like, you know, I'll throw a couple of the numbers out, for example you know, 51% said they improved data on accessibility and availability. Really, what what about the other 49% really? Um, Improved inventory accuracy. I think I, I mentioned to Jeff before, I don't think I've ever walked into a, a manufacturing facility and had them claim they had 100% inventory accuracy. And so often they they blame it on well, you know, it's it's um, it's minimum wage workers that are that are moving the inventory in the in the warehouse. And my response to that is, how much do you think a bank tell, teller makes? And what do you think their inventory (laughs) accuracy is at the end of the day with their cash drawer?
0: And having worked in the banking industry some decades ago, yeah, you're, you're balanced to the penny or you're there late at night trying to balance
3: to the penny. That's right. <laughs> I, I had friends in college who were bank tellers who who made up the difference out of their own pocket at the end of the day if they were out of balance. So, you know, there's only yes. 40% that said they improved their inventory accuracy, and I think, you know, the candidate, it should be up in the 90s of those that should have improved their inventory accuracy, because I think Jeff and I both um, are of the the firm belief that ERP implementation, you shouldn't just be looking for a one-time ROI or one-time improvement, that this should be an ongoing continuous improvement that it's never done, and those benefits should be sustainable until you reach that ultimate goal. And, you know, let's face it, the ultimate goal keeps moving. Yes, clearly does. Does the top management or the team players
1: not fully understand the value of going from 49% inventory accuracy to 90%, for example, understanding that that directly affects uh, cash flow, profitability, and costs, and so on. So they're happy with the 49 when they – do they not realize the potential value of the other 50 points?
3: Well, I I don't think that, and I don't want to imply that people are at 49% inventory accuracy. What I was saying was 40% of the companies had improved their inventory accuracy, 60% Ah. had not. Um, I have done studies in the past that actually captured, we didn't this time, but I have in the past captured what is your current inventory accuracy and how much did you improve it. And typically, people range in the low nineties, um, which still gives a big, a big chance for improvement. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, so that's, that's so. It would just, seem. Yeah,
3: but I think just, I don't think it's that that top management doesn't understand the value. I think yeah. the the reason that people aren't achieving these kinds of improvements is because they're not measuring them. And quite frankly, that's why I stopped in my most of my surveys start, I stopped trying to capture very specific quantified results as a result of ERP or since ERP implementation, because it's always, it's not always about the software. It's usually about the the software and the people and the processes. And the reason I stopped Trying to get those in, that information as I got such an overwhelming percentage of people that didn't know and didn't measure those things to the point where I found that was the data point that I walked away with. People don't pay attention to that and they don't measure it.
1: Interesting. And
3: I'd like to bring up. I'd like to bring up a, a
1: point that when you go into a, um, a company or an organization and present your uh, story about ERP, um, the question that I have is from the time that you put together a program, an ERP program, or, or start gathering the data for a particular ERP program for a particular company, what's the time frame that, from the time that you sit down and ask them the first question to the time that you start your first implementation?
2: Uh, well, that will vary. Um, A lot, obviously, based on the size of the company, of course, but typically it takes people about uh, a couple of months to get uh, their requirements together and then a couple of months to evaluate the different vendor products. Uh, And then once they've acquired a product, which is usually somewhere around four to six months after they started, they then will start implementation. And that implementation, you know, can take three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, depending upon the company and their approach.
1: So there is a couple of months of gathering the appropriate data needed to present a, an appropriate ERP program.
2: Yeah. We, we talk about, to our clients, it's all about preparing the company for this transformation, and so you got to remember that these co- the companies everybody in the company has a full-time job, and now the executives say, "Hey, we're going to go out and look at this new system." And I want you 10 people over here to basically do the evaluation. Um, they all have full-time jobs. Uh, they, uh, sometimes companies will take a few of them and make them full-time on this project, which is great because that makes it goes a little bit faster, but the ones that are still doing their job, Uh, there's a lot of work involved to get them ready to evaluate vendors, to evaluate vendor products, and then once they've chosen it, to get it prepared and start going through the implementation process. So it's a a very, very complex project because of all the people involved in the company and because of all the capabilities of the company that have have to be affected by the new system. What
1: uh, what recommendation would you make for our uh, listeners
2: to uh,
1: – is, is this a seasonality issue? Is there a better time to start a program um, so that they have kind of an idea, uh, taking uh, your words and the survey that uh, I believe is up on our website, and if not, it will be, um, how long does it
2: take for the, to to sell the idea uh, for top management to buy into doing Correct. it? Usually, that process. I always talk about the genesis. I always ask my prospective customers, When did this idea come up, and why? What was when? Who brought the idea up? Was this a groundswell, or was this the CEO, or was this the new vice president of information technology? Who was it that basically started this idea? that you want to take your old system and throw it out and get this new system and bring it in. Um, and it's all over the board. You know, it's, uh, it's a I lot saw. of times if it's an older system, it's the groundswell. People are just fed up using the old green screen and the old system that's hard to use. <laughs> They're having a hard time hiring the millenniums because the millenniums don't want to work on the system, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and then they, uh, other times it's, uh, gee, we've, uh, we're starting to make acquisitions. We've got to upgrade our information system because we're, bringing, we're buying new companies. Other times it's a, it could be a change in the, the ownership of the company. Maybe the son is coming into the business, or maybe there is a private equity company that invested in the company, and all of that is a stimulus that, hey, we've got to improve the business. We've got to paint the house. We've got to improve our information structure. So there's a lot of reasons why these projects get off the ground. uh, But the underlying part of it is that technology growth is far outstripping the capabilities of companies to keep up with it. So they've got to leapfrog every once in a while, every 10 years, five years sometimes, certainly 20 at worst. They've got to leapfrog uh, their old system and go into new technology to really take advantage of where it is. You know, remember, gentlemen, I've been doing this since 1970s. And back then, everybody says, well, you know, once everybody gets on a new system, there won't be any more opportunity. Well, that's totally wrong because those systems wear out over time. Technology goes faster than the company, and the company has to step back and and say, okay, we now got to invest in improvements.
0: No doubt about
2: it. And uh, that's why we were excited, Jeff, when –
0: Uh, Julie uh, Rogier, who's on your team at Ultra Consultants, reached out to us and let us know that you've got some new information for the industry. That's what we're all about, is getting new, helpful information out to the industry. And Cindy, as Jeff knows, we're big proponents of blowing the horns of the people who are on our show. So I'd like you and Jeff to chat about this survey and let us know, maybe through Julie If we can post it up on the website along with this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio and let people link to wherever they link to uh, from it or read it there, we'd we'd love to have as much information available to them as we can, and we appreciate you being on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you, and we certainly are willing to do that. We want to get this out into the hands of as many people as we can, so I'd love to have the opportunity to put it up on your website. Great, great. Well, we'd we'll be, also take we'd a be look. happy to do that. We'd be happy to do that and we certainly appreciate
1: you being on the show, passing on this information to our uh, listeners.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for having us.
3: My pleasure.
0: And Cindy again, <laughs> thank, thank you, you for being on the show. It's really good information and I have to say, uh, you you know your stuff. You did a great research study here, you're very excellent at communicating it back to us intelligently enough that we can have a conversation about it with our listeners. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. And we have been speaking with Jeff Carr, who is the founder and CEO of Ultra Consultants, and Cindy Jutras, who is the founder of Mint Jutras, a research, independent research firm. And they've put together some excellent information that we're going to have on our website at mfttalkradio.com. If you look up this episode about the real facts about ERP implementation. And as always, come back and look at any of the shows, listen to those and check out our articles that we post on a regular basis. Also check out our women in manufacturing show, WAM. We have a link over to our sister property where we've got some great conversations with women in the industry and dairy experiences and we want to thank everyone for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. And Lou, it's nice to connect with you when you're up at one of your favorite spots at the Cape. I appreciate that,
1: and uh, my my spot that I cleared with you know all the snow is uh, waiting for me. So uh, I'm <laughs> going to be out there.
0: <laughs>
1: you'll recognize me with my uh, Hawaiian shirt. Yeah,
0: we will check from satellite, and you'll we'll see you reposed. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, again, oh, yeah. and. Uh, uh, Check out this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio, but that wraps us up today. And, again, thank you for listening. Thanks
1: for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.